good to see this number back tonight. I hope you've had as enjoyable day as uh, Sylvia and I have had, and uh, it's been quite enjoyable to spend time with uh, Matt and Sarah and the girls, and to be able to talk about people that we know in common, and to share some thoughts and the gospel. We spent the entire evening basically talking about spiritual things and people that we know and love and care very deeply for. And so it's a great thing to be able to spend time with the people of God. I just appreciated that uh, so much, and I appreciate you, the elders here, asking me to come and to be a part of this series of studies. And you've been, you've been super and wonderful so far, and I know you will be throughout the week. And I look forward to our uh, time together. Uh, good to see the the Jobs here this morning, and uh, Ray and Lucille, I've known and loved and cared very deeply for, and, and spent a lot of time with them through the years. And good to see them. Micah, I did get him confused with his brother a while ago, and so he forgave me for that. He said it's a sibling thing, and so uh, 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 his dad, Marlon, is uh, one of my uh, really good friends that I care about very deeply. I told Marlon several years ago, I said, when I die, I want you to sing at my funeral. don't know whether he remembers that or not, but uh, you can remind him of that. <laughs> But I appreciate him so much. He's one of the elders at uh, Hillview in Nashville now. And so uh, I, uh, I appreciate him and Cindy and, and all, the, all the family as well. There's so many people that I uh, know and love. I think Sarah asked me, did, uh, I know everybody here, and I know most of you. And I don't know all of you, but I know most of you. And all through the, the years, I've enjoyed spending time with you and being able to study with you and to worship God with you. And, and you encouraged me greatly, and you encouraged me by your presence this evening, and I want you to, to know that. And I pray that you continue to be faithful to God, and so that one day, that when our life is over, that we can all go home and spend eternity together. And we might gather around the throne of God and praise God throughout all eternity. Wouldn't that be wonderful? We all sing together, honor our God. And so that would be, be a fantastic thing for us to do. I want us to talk a little bit tonight about a, a clean heart. In Psalms 51 in verses 10, David, once again, we looked at this psalm this morning. He said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You know, we were talking this morning about the heart and that people have heart conditions. And of course, as a result of heart conditions, then they can be separated from God as a result of that. It's that we need a contrite heart to be willing to repent of our sins and confess our sins, to give up our sins, and to change our lives so that we can be reconciled to God and so that we can honor Him and glorify and serve Him and be faithful and loyal to Him. And really the thing that that involves is living pure and clean lives and having a clean heart and the results of what a clean heart will do in our lives. As I said this morning, almost a thousand times in the scriptures, the, the word heart or hearts is used. And he's usually not talking about, obviously, the blood pump, but he's talking about the mind, of having the mind right, in a right relationship with God, and having pure and clean hearts that we can serve God and be faithful and loyal to Him. And so that's what I'd like for us to think a little bit about tonight. That which defiles the heart, obviously, is sin. Do you realize that sin is contagious? Why are you wearing these tonight? Is it because there's something that you could get that's contagious? 
You know, Sylvia and I both have already had COVID-19. We both had our shots and we've both gone through all those things. And so, but uh, I understand that there's still a possibility that you can get COVID even after you've had all those, all those things. But you know, sin is something that's contagious as well. And it's not just some sort of disease like that. But sin is contagious and the Bible tells us that that is indeed the case. Do you realize that other people can lead us into sin? You know, there are a lot of other people that can lead us off into sin. And we have to be very careful about those whom we are friends with because of that very reason. In the book of Exodus, in Exodus 23 and verses 2, he said, You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. Do you think some people are what they are because that's the way of the multitude? Because that's the way people around them act or that's the things that they do? Is that what influences us sometimes? You know, a lot of times, as I mentioned this morning, some of the things that I realize that I have done back through my life that I'm ashamed of, I did that sometimes because of the influence that other people had upon me. But we have to be careful that we don't follow a crowd and certainly to do evil. And he warns us of that. In Exodus 32, verses 1 and 2, he said, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, said the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. Did the people influence Aaron here? Did Aaron listen to the people? Do you think if Moses had still been there that Aaron would have done that or did he listen to the people? Now they didn't twist his arm and make him do that, but he followed a multitude of people obviously and committed sin as a result of that. God told Moses to come down and what the people are doing. And how they were worshiping the calf. And it was a calf that Aaron had made. I've always found it kind of interesting how Aaron describes that to Moses. Well, I just put this in the fire and it came out like this. Now, if you believe that, you believe anything. Now, we know that didn't happen. But you see, others can lead us off into sin, and we have to be careful about that. We have to be cautious about who we become friends with. And really, it doesn't matter the age. Any of us can be influenced by those whom we become friends with. But I think this is especially true when we're maybe younger in age. You know, we're concerned about people that we're friends with, and we're concerned about who our kids become friends with. Are you concerned about that? You should be. In Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25, he said, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man, he says, Do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. You can learn the ways of other people, even when they're wicked and ungodly and unprincipled. So we have to be careful about who we become friends with. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 33, he said, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Some translation says it corrupts good morals. 
Have you ever thought that this verse seems to be somewhat out of place? You know why I say that, don't you? It's right in the middle of the resurrection chapter. He's talking about the resurrection. And then he says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits or corrupts good morals. What's the purpose? What's the point? Those who would deny the resurrection can influence others to deny the resurrection as well. And so talking or speaking doctrinally, friends can influence you to believe or practice something that is not according to the Scriptures. But we have to be careful that that does not happen to us. Some people can be led astray. And you know, we can be deceived ourselves. The Bible warns us about being deceived and others deceiving us. Over and over we see that in the Scriptures and that's what he says, do not be deceived. So sin certainly is contagious and our friends can cause us to commit sin. Even in family settings sometimes, that is indeed the case. In the book of Genesis, in Genesis 3 and verses 6, he said, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Can family influence us to do wrong? Sure they can. You know, that can happen to any one of us. I remember when Sylvia and I first obeyed the gospel, and we first started attending church services back in 1974. Had one of my family members that would visit us on Sunday afternoon and they would visit us about three o'clock when it would be pretty close to the time that we would normally leave to go to church services that evening, they would stay. And so Cindy and I would tell them, so now we've got to go to church services and we'd love for you to go with us. But if you don't want to go, you can stay here and we'll see you when we get back. Before long, they didn't come at that time. They would come earlier so that they could spend some time and then we could go to church services and they wouldn't hinder us from our church services. See, family can influence us to do wrong sometimes even when they don't even intend to do so. And we can let them influence us. It doesn't matter who it is in our family. God has to come first. Regardless of who it is, whether it's mother or father or son or daughter or whoever it might be. But sin is something that's contagious and even people within our families can influence us to do wrong. Here's a people in the city, in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. In Genesis 19, verses 23 through 26, he said the sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heaven. And so he overthrew those cities all in the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground but his wife, Lot's wife, she looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. Did the city influence her? Why was she looking back? You know, the Lord told her not to look back. And yet she looked back anyway. You know, I think we were talking today a little bit. I don't remember who we said this to, but we have to be careful about even the cities that we may move to. Can cities influence us to do wrong? What if there's not a faithful church in the city that we move to? Is that the place we want to move? Or would we want to move somewhere where there are faithful Christians that will serve God and are willing to serve God? Now, I understand that some people may move to a city that there are not a lot of Christians there to establish a work. I understand that. 
But can cities lead us astray because of the environment that we find ourselves in? You know, it's a wonderful thing that when we live in places that there are other Christians that we can associate with. You know, you and I are from Middle Tennessee, and there's a lot of churches around here, a lot of faithful churches to the Lord. A lot of places that we can go in gospel meetings and scenes and various things, and we can assemble and meet with other Christians and encourage one another. But what if there wasn't many there? What if there's just a few? Or what if there's not any? Would we still be faithful? See, people within a city or even a nation can influence us to do that which is wrong. So sin is, is contagious. Let me suggest something else to you, and that is that sin compounds. Do you realize that one sin sometimes leads to another? What if I told you a lie? Would I have to tell you another lie to cover that lie? Is that usually what happens? So you see how sin compounds itself. You know, there's the progressive nature of sin that we can see. For instance, in Psalms 1, notice verses 1 and 2. He said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. You know, some people go to the ungodly for counsel. <laughs> instead of going to the person who is righteous and holy, or instead of, instead of going to the Bible, they go to other people that are ungodly and unprincipled, and they listen to what they have to say. The next thing you know, they're standing in the path of those sinners. And you realize that before long, that they're completely comfortable and at ease with those who are unholy and unrighteous. The next thing you know, that they're sitting in the seat of the scornful. Those that would mock and ridicule anything that's righteous and holy and just and good. And they're completely at ease. Now, they first went there for counsel. Then they began to congregate with family. And then the next thing you know, they're seated and they're totally comfortable with those unprincipled and unholy guidelines or advice that they may receive from those who are ungodly. Progressive nature of sin. Think of David's sin, for instance. So then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity. And she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. And so she sent and told David and said, I am a child. Do you remember what started this? That David was walking around on the roof of his house one night, and he sees Bathsheba, baby. Was it a sin that he just simply looked? What if he had turned away? Would that have been a sin? No. Would it have been a temptation to sin? Well, yes. But you see, what David did was that he looked and he lusted after. And not only was he content with that, he sins and inquires of her. And he has him to bring her to his house. He lies with her. He commits adultery with her. And then all of a sudden he, she's with child and he has to start planning what he's going to do. Of how he's going to explain this away. <clears throat> See how sin compounds? What started it? One look and lusting with that look 
And then look where it leads. Said in the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. Now there are several other things between this. Do you remember he sends and has Uriah, he brings Uriah back. And he thinks that Uriah has been away from his wife and that he would surely go into his wife and he would lie with her. And so that Uriah might think that the child that Bathsheba has, that it's his child. But Uriah was a noble man and he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't do that while the people of God were in a battle. He wouldn't go in and lie with his wife and he refused to do that. David has a plan B. He decides that he'd get him drunk and surely if I get him drunk, he'll go into his wife and yet he refuses to do that. See how sin compounds itself, progresses, the progressive nature of sin. That's made apparent in the life of David, isn't it? And eventually Uriah loses his life. Do you remember the child that Bathsheba has by David? What happens to that child? Well, the child died. And you remember, Nathan is the one that comes and relates that story about the one little ewe lamb. He said, surely this man will have to suffer as a result of what he's done. He'll repay fourfold. Remember that? Fourfold. Do you remember how many of David's sons died an untimely death? How many was it? Four. Four, four. This child dies in three hours. Tragic, isn't it? But look what sin did. Simply looking, lusting, sending, lying with, committing adultery, and then having to put Uriah to death to cover his sins. Could you imagine how David felt when Nathan looks at him and says, you're the man. You're the one I'm talking about. You're the one that I relate this story about. Oh, how David must have felt at that time. As you see, sin compounds itself. Even the example of Peter in the New Testament. said, Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, he said, I will never be made to stumble. Sound familiar sometimes to us. Oh, I would never do that. Be careful what you say. Because you might just do that. Peter said, oh, I'll, I'll not be made to But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the evil. Made the stumble, already following at a distance. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, He said, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man, and immediately a rooster crowed. There's a lot of discussion about what the rooster 
really was, or the rooster crowed. But in word studies, it's a rooster that would crow. I've looked at this several times in the years. Could you imagine what went through Peter's mind every time that he heard the rooster crow from that moment before? Do you remember what Jesus asked Peter on three different occasions? He said, Simon Peter, do you love Simon? Do you love me? Oh, yes, I love you. You remember the wording there in John 21. Jesus says, Agape, love me. Phileo, I love you, Peter says. Second time, Jesus asked the same question. Agape, love me. Phileo, I love you. And finally, Phileo, love me, Peter. Peter, Phileo, love you. He became a little disturbed that third time, didn't he? But you know, he's the one that said, I will never be made to stumble. But you can see how sin compounds and the progressive nature of sin in one's life. Are we any different? Can it compound in our life? Can it progress? Well, sure it can. And we have to be careful that that is not true in our lives. Let me suggest something else to you. The Bible teaches us that sin is deadly. Physical death sometimes can come as a result of sins that people are guilty of. Then Peter said, Ananias, he said, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? He said, While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. Physical death. Because of sin. So far, physical death because of sin. See, physical death sometimes can come as a result of sin. It may not be immediate. Do you know people who have died physically because of some sin that they've committed? Maybe not just at that moment, but maybe in times past that leads to their physical death. Oh, I have. And I dare say you have too. So we can certainly die physically because of our sins. People suffer immensely sometimes because of the sins that they have committed in days gone by. But you know, really the one, the death that we need to be concerned about is spiritual death. Because that means that we're separated from God and we're separated throughout all eternity unless we receive the forgiveness that is offered through the blood of Christ. In the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 18 and verses 20, he said, The soul who sins shall die. Now, here he's talking about, obviously, spiritual death. Because we see that there's a lot of people that sins that don't die immediately, but it can lead, can lead to their physical death. But here he's talking about spiritual death. He said, The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So this is what sin can lead to. And what it does lead to is spiritual death and spiritual separation from God. Unless we're forgiven of those sins. So sin's dead. Could I ask you a question 
that you give some consideration and thought. What sin? Or which sin? Could you answer that? Could you tell me that? What would you say? Isn't it all sin? Unrepentant? Is there any such thing as big and little sin? Sometimes in our eyes, there, there may be, but not in God's eyes. Well, I understand that some sins are more involved and involve more people, just as we notice with the sin of David. It involves several people, as we can see. First of all, it involved God. It involved Bathsheba. It involved Uriah. It involved Nathan. It involves several people that we can see. And then there's the son that died. But all sin can separate us from our God. Any of unrepented. In Romans 6, in verses 23, he said, For the wages of sin is death. Now here's what the wages that sin pays. It pays death. That's what it pays. He said, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once again, what sin? It almost seems like that we want to pick and choose. Well, certain sins will, but other sins won't. Now, who said that? Did God say that, or is that the sayings of some man? Or is that what I think or what I feel? Somebody else says, my sins are really not that bad. No, any sin is bad, regardless of who it is that commits it. All of our sin. There is no, as I said, big and little sins. But know this. I want you to look at this list of sins. And we can look at several other, but look at this one. He said that in the last day, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Wow. Is that a sin that can separate me from my God? You know, sometimes we don't want to think of that, do we? But yet that's exactly what this is saying. This says, unthankful, unholy, unloving. Some translations, I think, translate that without natural affection. Not loving our kids like we should. Unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Will those sins cause me to lose my soul if I don't repent? You know, that tells us how deadly sin is. Any sin. Now, the only person that has big and little sins is each of us, not God. As I said, yeah, there are some things that are more involved. But all sin 
can separate us from our God. Let me suggest something else to you. A clean heart is not just in outward form. You know, there are plenty of people, I think, that appear to be righteous and pious and holy and good. But yet inwardly, they're not pure and clean as they should be. There's a lot of people that appear that outwardly. You know, I often tell people it's a big difference between the way people act inside these four walls, or you've got multiple walls, whatever way you want to look at it, versus the way that they are on the job. Or versus the way they are in their day-by-day -day life. It's important what we do inside these walls, but it's also important how we live outside these walls as well. And it has to be more than just in outward form. It has to begin inwardly. And it has to be a pure and clean heart. God's con uh, condemnation of Judah. In Isaiah 1, verses 14 through 17, he said, Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. Now why did he hate? Why did he hate that? Was it because he didn't require that of them? No, that wasn't it. This is like we were talking about this morning of sacrifices and offerings. You know, those are things that God didn't desire. It's not that he didn't desire that they do those things, but he wanted them to do that from a pure and clean heart, a contrite heart. That's what he wanted. He said, they are troubled to me. He said, I am weary of bearing them. He said, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Outward form. He said, your hands are full of blood. He said, wash yourself, make yourself clean. He said, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes and cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, and plead for the widow. Be a people that are righteous and holy and upright in heart and in life. Not just in outward form of observing new moons and appointed feasts, and praying to God. But be holy and righteous and upright. Jesus said this in Matthew 23, beginning in verses 25 through 28. I suppose that there's not any scripture in the Bible that gives a more scathing rebuke to the scribes and the Pharisees than Jesus does in Matthew 23. I'm always impressed as I read through this chapter of the things that they were guilty of. They were always doing things to appear righteous and holy, but they were anything but that. He said, what are you scribes and Pharisees? Hypocrites. They played the part. That's really what a hypocrite is, playing the part. Like an actor or an actress. He said, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of extortion and indulgence. Ladies, when you put a cup up in the cabinet, 
do you just make sure that the outside is clean? Or do you clean the inside? You make sure the inside is clean. But what about in our lives? Are we just concerned about how we appear to other people? Or are we concerned about how we appear to God? He said, blind Pharisees, he said, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men. But inside, you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Oh, you appear righteous and pious to men. But that's not really how you walk. You're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You know, we noticed this morning, you're talking about God sees the heart. That's exactly what he does. He sees what's on the inside. I had a fellow who had been preaching for a good number of years come to me one time when I first started preaching and he asked me, he said, Jim, how do you get people to come back on Sunday night and Wednesday night? And I'm thinking, you've been preaching for that many years and you've come ask me how to do that? I do not have a clue. But I did tell him this, and I think this is still true. I said, the problem with people who don't come back, it's really a heart problem. Do you agree with that? It's really a hard problem. If I love the Lord, if I'm devoted to the Lord, I'm going to be there at every service. Clean up the inside, and the outside will take care of itself. If the heart's pure, and if the heart's clean. See, it's not just an outward form. God certainly wants a clean heart. In Jeremiah 4, in verses 4, he said, Circumcise yourself to the Lord and take away the foreskin of your heart. Said, You men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it. Beware of the evil of your doings. You know, sometimes we make reference to the fact that in the New Testament there's a circumcision, but it's a circumcision of the heart. There's the removing or the cutting off of sin from the lives of individuals so that we can be pure and holy. But you know the same is true in the Old Testament. Well, I understand that the nation of Israel, that there was a covenant relationship that God entered into with Abraham and his descendants, that the male ch uh, children would be circumcised the eighth day. But really what he wanted not only was them to observe that circumcision, to enter that covenant relationship with him, but he wanted them to circumcise the heart. He wanted them to remove sin from their lives. And he wanted them to be pure and holy. He said, take away the foreskin of your heart. Clean up your lives. Live righteous and holy. Paul said in Romans 2 and verses 29, but he said he is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. The people of God are concerned about the heart and living pure and holy and righteous life, not just in the outward form. That's important. 
But it begins in the heart of purifying, cleansing the heart. One other point in the lesson will be yours. How can we be clean? How can we have a pure, clean heart? Well, by the word of God, one thing. He said, you're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. John 15, verses 3. To his disciples, those who would become his apostles. It's listening to the word. It's doing what the word tells us to do. He said that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. When we submit to the word of God, when we do what the Lord tells us to do, to be saved by his grace and mercy, and when we're washed in the blood of the Lamb, we can be made pure, clean, whole. That's how we can clean up the heart. The Bible tells us that we must obey the truth. He said, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Pure heart. Purifying your soul in obeying the truth. Doing what the Lord tells you to do, he said. Which involves being taught Believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized in water for the remission of our sins. That's what he tells us to do. And once we've been made clean as the result of being washed in the blood of the Lamb, we have to strive to remain clean in our lives as well. He said, do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Keep yourself pure. Do what it takes to remain pure and holy. Do you realize that you will never regret loving and serving God and putting God first in your life? But being pure, holy, just, righteous. You know, when life is over, that's really the only thing that's going to matter, isn't it? Is if I've been faithful to God so that I can be saved by His grace and by His mercy. As you look at your heart this evening, your heart pure and clean? Have you been washed in the blood of the white? Have you been obedient to his will? Have you done the things that he tells you to do? Jesus said, unless you believe in them, he you'll die in your sins. Repent or perish. That was John 8, 24. Repent or perish, Luke 13, 3. Acts 2, verses 38 as well. Confession, we see that in Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33. He said, if you confess me before men, he said, him will I confess before my Father who is in heaven. But if you deny me before men, him will I deny before my Father who is in heaven. And be immersed in water for remission of sins. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. The eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. You believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I don't think you'd be here if you didn't believe that. But if you've not done those things, then why not do that so that you can have a pure heart, clean heart, heart that's been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And if you've been unfaithful, why don't you repent of those sins, pray and ask for forgiveness. We'll pray with and for you. The Lord will cleanse you. So if you're here this evening and you're subject to the Lord's invitation in any way, Make your way to the front. Let your wishes be made known. We'd be glad to assist you in your obedience in any way. So if you're here in Sunday, make your way to the front. Let your wishes be made known. We'd be glad to have you.